Are fundamentalists creating absurd fictional scenarios to oppose the trans agenda? Are those who oppose medical practices such as giving puberty blockers to kids as young as eight years old, or the practice of chest binding, or the irreversible practices of putting young kids in, in their early teens even underneath the knife to go irreversible surgery of cutting off uh, reproductive parts? Are those people just flippant and without thoughts and consideration to the science? And most importantly, how much indoctrination, I mean, excuse me, how much education is really needed to come to the same morally superior conclusion of the progressive social constructionists? Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future, episode 242 on July 21st, 2021. Eid Kumubarak to all of my Muslim friends across the globe, whether you are in the West, in America, or in Saudi Arabia, here in the Khalij. Eid Kumubarak to you. I hope you're enjoying this Eid, this holiday season with your family, wherever you are. But today, we're not going to be talking about uh, Eid or the Islamic holidays. But today, instead, we are going to be covering a comment that I received on an Instagram post uh, earlier this week from a longtime friend. And he was commenting on a little clip, a little segment from episode 238, where we talked about in depth uh, the pitfalls, the dangers that I see and many other people see, many other scientists see, many other psychologists see, many other doctors and PhDs and researchers see when it comes to this trans agenda, many other parents see. So I'm not a alone, a lone voice out here crying out in the wilderness about this. I'm not a nut and you're not a nut either. There are, there are many people across the globe who see glaring issues with this. But I received this comment. We're going to go through this comment and break it down as I think as we break down this comment, uh, we'll be able to draw some great conclusions. And really, we're talking about some, we pull into this uh, episode, some pretty shocking stories, uh, true stories. So stick around for that. Now, my instead of responding to this comment in the Instagram comment section, uh, it was there's just too many layers to cover it. So I thought it'd be best to cover it here. So before we go into this uh, juicy comment, which raised so many questions in my mind that I think do need to be addressed, I'm gonna play the clip, the one minute clip from episode 238. We need to break down the alpha male stereotypes. We need to break down the woman in the kitchen stereotypes. We need to break down these, these social constructions of gender. Okay, yeah. Wow, look, Luke, Lucas broke those down. Wow, Lucas's wife, Rachel, she, she has her CrossFit level one. She, she's actually a CrossFit coach. I'm not. Wow, that's gender nonconforming. You like lifting weights? That's not very ladylike. That's gender nonconforming. We better start now while she's still young to help reassign her to her right gender. Wait, wait a minute. I thought this whole time the argument was 
girls should be able to play basketball and still be girls. And boys should be able to be sensitive. I was a sensitive kid. Boys should be able to be sensitive and love cooking and still be boys. But now we're saying, ah, no, if you're not gender conforming, we need to actually conform you to look like the other gender. We need to transition you to become not your biological male that you are or not biologically female that you are because you must have been born in the wrong body. This is the, this is the argument that I really see coming out of this trans agenda, this trans movement, which at the core of it, maybe not at the core of it, well, there's so many different layers that I see, but one of the things that I see that doesn't make sense to me is the whole thing is saying that, well, gender is, gender is socially constructed, gender is fluid, and if gendered is, gender is fluid, then why are we cutting things off people's biological bodies if gender has nothing to do with your biology? If they're they're totally separate things, and as we'll we'll hit on in this episode, if gender gender is fluid, how do we know that a non-binary person looks like the opposite of whatever that biologically truly assigned person is? I, I don't even know how to use the right terms when it comes to this. What I mean is, if you are born a male, how do we know that? A non-binary person does not have his male working parts. If you are born a female, how do we know that a non-binary person doesn't have their their female reproductive system? This is one of the, the great mysteries that I see. And if you're fluid, well, doesn't that mean that later on in life you might turn back into what you were in the first place? Well, I'm confused by this whole string of ideology, but apparently uh, my longtime friend, he was confused by what I was saying. So this is, I'm gonna read his comment and line by line, we'll pause throughout his comment to break down uh, some of the answers to what he is asking. He starts with this, so confused. Where are you finding these ideas? Well, I didn't come up with the, the trans agenda ideas, but this is this is the ideology that is being pushed, at least in everything that I've been reading on both the left and the right. So I don't know how these are, ideas are that original. He goes on and says, I can't help thinking you have created scenarios to oppose that have no bias in reality. Can't help but thinking you have created scenarios to oppose that really have no basis in reality. So question, do, do these ideas of, of people being transitioned have no basis in reality? Well, of, of course they do. I think what he's saying is my, the hyperboles that I was making in this one minute clip, right? So th these, these one minute clips that people, myself included, are posting on Instagram, it's supposed to get you to think and supposed to get you to run over to the full episode to listen where we break down oftentimes over the course of an hour the arguments that are being made but now when it comes to this point of do do these stories is that hyperbole that i'm making of well 
because you are struggling, because you have some confusion about your gender, therefore you must be the opposite gender that you're born. That seems to be the, the foregone conclusion. That seems to be the accept, accepted uh, 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 thesis and solution before you even go into the issue. If there's any sort of gender confusion, well, ah, that's it. You are supposed to be something else than you already are. Why, why isn't it the fact that, well, if you're experiencing some sort of gender confusion, you, you're experiencing gender confusion and you are born and knitted in your mother's womb exactly as you were supposed to as a biological male or female. And maybe there are other underlying issues depression, bullying, uh, abuse, uh, other bipolar issues that are happening, other psychological issues that are happening in a young person's life that then further is driving the confusion around identity. And it seems to me that most of what I'm reading, and, and we're going to go into two stories right now, true stories of uh, experiences of this happening, it seems that the solution to the trauma is, well, we need to change your gender. Now, here, here are two stories that come from the Mercador net, and the, these stories are from mothers uh, who have written, some written in anonymous, anonymously, others have written in using their real names, sharing the experience that they have had of school systems uh, infringing <laughs> and stepping in, undermining uh, parents and pushing young children to, to transition quite quickly. So the, the first story it's titled, I'm not transphobic, but what happened to my daughter has broken my heart. And I'm going to read parts of it, and I'm going to skim parts of it for the sake of time. Claire, not her real name, was a perfectly happy child, but she tended towards boyish pursuits like soccer and taekwondo. But so did her mother, Sarah, also a pseudonym. So Sarah thought little of it. Her tomboyish daughter took after her. Where am I getting these ideas that, quote-unquote, have no basis in reality? Well, right here, stories of young girls that have some boyish pursuits. Okay, that's great. I love that. I, I love that my boys are tender and nurturing. Does that mean that I think that they're born in the wrong body? No, I think it means that they're going to be a great and nurturing husband. goes on. But her mental health plummeted as she became an adolescent. Sarah's carefree girl was gone, as was the close relationship between the mother and daughter. And just before Claire turned 18, she announced that she was transgendered. How did this happen? Well, Claire experienced bullying from extended family members at the private school she attended during primary school. So her parents moved her to another school. At first, the move was successful, but at the end of eighth grade, Sarah says Claire fell into a crowd of rough girls, including one Sarah described as very dark and very troubled. The girl didn't identify as either sex, and it was the first time I've heard anything of like this, like this, the Newcastle Australian mom said. The girl would send Claire text messages with macabre images such as burning heads. 
Sarah said that this was, was the beginning of three years of poor mental health for Claire. One night, she went into a catatonic state of terror, and they rushed her to the emergency room. Well, after this, Claire progressively went downhill over the course of three years, and they went to a public and, and private practitioners all over searching to find good help for her. She was diagnosed with bipolar anxiety and depression and recently autism, her mom says. In year 11, grade 11, she announced that she was transgendered and was going to kill herself. Her psychiatrist said to take her straight to the hospital and she was admitted into the mental health section where she was immediately affirmed as trans. The next day, I went in to visit her, and when I asked to see my daughter, I was told I had a son. There was a male name above her bed. While still trying to come to terms with what was happening, the hospital advised Sarah, the mom, they would be referring Claire immediately to the endocrinologist to start her on testosterone. We said, no, we don't agree with it. It is all too rushed. We want to talk to our private psychiatrist and talk to you about it, she explains. But Sarah was then bullied. The mom was bullied by the staff, treated horribly. She was called transphobic. They continued to correct me, Sarah, every time I asked to see my daughter. When they could see that I was visibly upset, they told me our daughter would kill herself if we didn't call her a boy. However, Sarah was shown no medical evidence to support this. In a family meeting at the hospital, the psychiatrist ridiculed me, saying to Claire, quote unquote, I suppose your mother dressed you as a girl when you were little. Sarah later discovered that Claire had two appointments in the, in the preceding four months, and they had started her on testosterone after the second appointment. She was given no psychiatric or psychological psychological treatments, just immediate referral for hormones, explained Sarah. We were gobsmacked that someone could immediately refer a clinically ill person for hormones. Story one. This is story one of thousands of stories where medical professionals step in and without seeing a psychologist, without seeing a, a doctors without really seeing what was wrong, instantly the conclusion is, up, oh, she's a boy. And instantly we need to start her on medical treatment. Otherwise she is going to die. Uh, just no words. So am I making this stuff up? No. Now, clearly, as the article read, she had issues for years, bullying for years. She had bipolar. She was put on the autistic uh, spectrum. She had other issues that were underlying it. And then she came in contact with a dark person, a dark girl who already identified as non-binary. And it snowballed from there. Maybe, maybe the right approach would not have been to affirm this, but to break down some of the deeper psychological issues that were happening 
in this individual before rushing them into hormone therapy after two visits to the doctor. Here's story number school two, titled Schools, Back Off My Kid, It's My Kid You're Transitioning. The mom starts off, this is a mom from the West Coast of America, saying, I never thought I'd be afraid for my son to go to school. I always thought that school was there to help our kids learn and to teach them how to fit into societies. I thought that teachers were the salt of the earth. Never once would I have imagined that our schools would harm children. She goes on to describe how her young boy, when he was in in the early days of primary school, was disruptive. He had some problems paying attention. At first, they thought that, well, he's too smart for, for these classes. He is actually quite brilliant, and therefore, we need to give him harder material. And as he got a little older, he became less disruptive and, and began doing well in school. But then she says, my son suddenly, out of nowhere, di- self-diagnosed himself as trans at 15. I realized he thought he was trans because he was quirky and socially awkward and had been bullied in middle school. He thought it explained why he never fit in. Pause. If a kid is not fitting in and they're getting bullied, wouldn't the, wouldn't the right conclusion, the right way to, to push someone is to say, no, just because people don't like you and bullying you and just because you don't fit in, it doesn't mean that you're trans. Maybe it means that people are jerks. But no, no. Schools go out of their way, she says, to help a kid who declares they are trans. They are so worried that they will be bullied, but they ignore the bullying that went on before this declaration. Exactly. Parents have a say in everything about their child unless they declare that they are trans. If your child declares that they are trans, then you're deemed a bad parent if you don't go along with the ideology. Schools may threaten to remove your child from you unless you transition them either socially or medically. If a child complains to the school that their parents are not supporting their trans identity, the parents are not consulted. Rather, they're considered to be causing harm, and therefore, they are unfit to be parents. Since when, she writes, does a parent know more, since when does a parent not know more about their child and what's best for them than a school counselor? It would be laughable and absurd if it were were not so terrifying. Schools change children's names and pronouns without parents' permission, even though they still need a parent's permission to administer over-the-counter medicine and life-saving medications like an EpiPen. So a school is able to step in and say, yep, your child is, your child is trans, and so we're going to change their pronouns, we're going to change their names, and if you, parent, don't go along with this, you're a minor. If you don't go along with what this minor is saying, then you are unfit to be a parent, and we will take them away from you. Because well, this kid was bullied. They're not fitting in. They're not gender conforming. They're not like all the other boys. They're not like all the other girls. They like Taekwondo. Maybe they're a little socially awkward. So therefore, yeah, they must be trans because what? They're not gender conforming. So where am I getting this absurd ideology that I'm, that I'm making up? 
of, hey, if, if I, I, as a young kid, who was not gender conforming, or my wife, who maybe is not gender conforming, does that mean that we should all of a sudden, we must be the other gender? And isn't that the, the very opposite of what the feminist movement has pushed for? Which so many good things have come from that. In that, hey, you don't have to fit in the, the stereotypical alpha male uh, wife in the kitchen box of, of male and females. But now what we're saying is, well, if you don't fit in the stereotypical box, then you must be misgendered somehow and we need to you know, make you trans because if you're not uh, an atypical, a stereotypical male, and if you're not a stereotypical female, then you must be trans because there's no room to be a fully male and exhibits, exhibit uh, feminine traits or qualities without being trans, without having some sort of other gender identity. This, this letter goes on and says, without my permission or knowledge, my, school, my son's school counselors changed his name to a girl's name. When I wrote the counselor, she ignored my emails. I was looked upon as the enemy, even though I have always been, been my son's biggest advocate. I was afraid to push back because I feared the school would call in child services. Trans-identified kids are not given therapy for the trauma of being bullied for being gay, geeky, quirky, artistic, or socially awkward. Instead, they are led down a path towards medical self-harm and told that this is the only way to feel better. That's why there are thousands of detransitioned young adults out there because these kids did not receive the proper therapy. Schools are even promoting to kindergarten kids that you can be born in the wrong body. I mean, if that's not going to cause confusion in a, in a young child, four or five years old, who they're already confused about most things in life, they, you know, can't get color straight sometimes. They're, they're writing letters backwards sometimes. D's becomes B's and B's become D's. Well, of course, saying that boys are girls and girls are boys and maybe you're born in the wrong body, how is that not going to cause confusion. They're now teaching and confusing kids about the, the trans gingerbread model, telling them that they could be any gender at all. Children are now questioning the most irrefutable biological, might I add, facts about themselves, that they might not be born in the right sex that they were clearly born in. Well, it, it's not just teachers that are experiencing this in, in their schools with their children. But this, the same thing is happening when it comes to, uh, to, to therapists and psychologists. Here's a clip that we, we played back in episode 238, not so long ago, from uh, a Dr. Jordan Peterson in his interview with Abigail Schreer. Psychotherapists are now bound, as far as I've been able to determine by examining the law, to adopt precisely this gender-affirming position. And I believe that that's the case in Ontario. So I don't do adolescent um, therapy. But if I had a young adult, say 18 or older, come to me who was expressing um, confusion about their gender identity, let's say, or was gingerly testing the waters to determine if perhaps they were transgender, 
I believe that I'm required by law to to adopt a position that would affirm that fundamentally. That's right. Yes, a sort of Damocles hangs over professionals' heads now. And what it says is you must agree with the patient's self-diagnosis. Put another way, it must it suggests that you should begin with the conclusion. Your conclusion must be that this person has gender dysphoria, and then you can, you know, go along from there and start prescribing treatments. That's not how medicine or any other area of therapy is practiced. You don't begin with the conclusion. You investigate it. What else can you say? Is it is it flippant? Is it absurd? Is it making stories up? No. It, what is absurd, what is flippant, is to say that we must start with an individual's self-diagnosis and uh, everything from there, well, we need just to start to prescribe medicines and, and surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. And that, to me, it, it's... It's not something that I'm getting these ideas out of nowhere, but th this is what is happening in the West, not just, not just in America, but in Australia, in Europe, in Canada, in America. And it, 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 it is coming down the pipe, down the pike across the globe. His comment goes on, and I like this, I like this next uh, bit of his comment. He said, I think you are quite right when you speak to gender norms being broken down. People feeling they can exist in their own gender and like activities that were once gendered. Now, this is great. This is true. I, too, am glad that gender, gender norms are being broken down uh, between people. I like that bo boys can learn to be tailors or which is not new. I mean, that's been happening for thousands of years. Uh, and I like that girls feel like they can be in competitive sports, which again, that's not necessarily new. And on top of that, I, I'm not sure what the trans agenda and the trans movement actually adds to this. In fact, I see it something taking away because I, in the West, I cannot think of a single activity that was quote unquote gendered 10 or 20 years ago, and maybe there are, and I'm just unaware, but I can't think of something that 20 years ago, a, a, a female was not allowed to enter into or compete in or be a part of. And so how does the transgendered movement actually help women in that, in that pursuit? Or how does it even help society in that pursuit to have equal opportunity for all people. Instead, it seems like the opposite is happening. We're now biological men like Laura Hubbard are allowed to, who's a male who transitioned to a female and he's in his, he's like 47 now is able to compete in the Olympics and is very likely to place in as a quote unquote female in the Olympics. When the, the average age to peak for uh, weightlifting is around 24, 26 for both males and females. So here's a, a person that's way outside of their, the peak of their, their physical performance, who's most likely going to beat almost all the women at the Olympics because he's being allowed to compete as 
a female. How is that? How is that breaking down gendered, gendered activities? We know that the reason we created differences in, in sports between the genders, to have male and female tennis, to have male and female weightlifting, because if it was non-gendered, if it was all unigendered in sports, we would see that all, nearly all women would be kicked out of nearly all sports because men's physiological frame, physical frame, is so much stronger due to our biological makeup. So having different gender groups of male and female, it actually brings more inclusion. So obviously, I don't think he's referring to that. I think he's probably referring to, th to things that were more 20, 30, 40 years ago in the West. Now, in other places in the world, there are still things that are gendered. There are still areas uh, of in the world where certain males and females aren't allowed to perform certain jobs. I don't have any examples offhand, and those I think probably need to be looked at one by one because it's not a uniform thing. But I'm, I'm all for having girls being totally amped on becoming engineers. When you look at the big five, the reason that we see more male engineers and more female engineers is because across the big five, there's a whole standard of deviation between males and females where men are more interested in things and women are more interested in people. Therefore, more men are going to become engineers, not because they're intellectually superior, not because they're smarter, not because they're better at math. In fact, uh, on the intellect between males and females, it's pretty much the same. But the reason that more males become engineers is because males are more interested in things. And you have to be very interested in things to become an engineer. And likewise, that's why we see more females go into nursing because they are more interested in people. And that is a good thing to allow people to choose what they want rather than to try to socially construct a, a level of equality of outcome among the sexes and among the genders. Now, the other thing with this whole de-gendering thing, helping uh, females or, or genders of minority, it seems to be pretty backwards as well. I don't see the trans movement helping that any, any, in any way, shape, or form. In fact, just this last week, J.K. Rowling experienced uh, some more hate on the, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, she posted uh, these, these tweets. Here they are. First tweet, she's, she receives a tweet saying, I wish you a very nice pipe bomb in the mailbox. Can you, this was from Queer Edgard. His name's Sam. I mean, who would, who in their right mind would tweet that? And, and against his name, you see a whole bunch of little icons, and one of those icons is a, a cross, ironically, and another icon is the trans flag and a, a bomb. Well, that's nice. And, I mean, tweeting this at a, pers at a person, I wish you a very nice pipe bomb in your mailbox. Well, she responds and said, to be fair, when you can't get a woman sacked, arrested, or dropped by her publisher and canceling her only made her book sales go up, there's only one place to go. And that is violence. That is violence. 
against people who are defending women's rights. Well, what did she say to cause such an uproar this time? Well, in another tweet, uh, someone asked the question, replying to J.K. Rowling. This person asked, is this still because of her comments about the safety of women in toilets and changing rooms if men can use them by simply saying that they identify as women? And she says, yes, but now hundreds of trans activists have threatened to beat, rape, and assassinate and bomb me. I've realized that this movement poses no risk to women whatsoever. Yes, now that the, the trans activists have threatened her and threatened her life, it is now clear that uh, this movement is one of peace, love, and absolute tolerance. So high fives all around. But where, where, does, this all, where does this all lead us? This all leads us, this whole trans movement. If, if you carry out the, the logical conclusion, and now, of course, I, I'm sure, uh, Jordan, if you're listening to this, you're probably going to disagree with, with me again, is creating fantasies and creating things to oppose. But when you carry out the trans, the underlying thought process behind the trans agenda to its logical conclusion, well, the logical conclusion to the whole thing is when people are born, they should be made totally asexual. We should, we should neuter people at birth and then give them hormones at birth to make sure everyone is just on an equal playing field and we'll reproduce our babies in test tubes instead. Now, obviously, that's a little bit of a hyperbole, but that is the logical conclusion of where this all goes. I read this fascinating sat satirical story called Transhumanism and Our Frankenstein Future, and it's fairly lengthy, but I'm going to read two passages from it. it it's a, a fictional exchange between uh, two doctors. One of these doctors is Dr. Frankenstein and uh, another doctor who is doing uh, transgendered and uh, transhumanism therapy. Well, Frankenstein, Dr. F, says, we are certainly finding that within, with the increase of racial diversity, remember now you can, you can change your ethnic diversity, you can become uh, trans-Asian if you want, and 53 gender choices, the surgeries and the therapy choices are quite complicated. What do you suggest? Uh, Dr. A says, move procreation to the labs. The old-fashioned methods of contraception and gestation and childbirth is messy, painful, and awkward for everyone. Modify the genetic sequence to produce one homogenized human race with features from all the major, major racial groups. Yes. Is this not what we want? Equality of outcome. We just need to make everybody look exactly the same. This is the, the logical extension of all this. They go on. Then... Instead of varied gender and, and racial tensions, we'll have one straightforward procedure. Give everyone the same balanced hormones to create a neutered individual. The surgery would be simple. Just remove the male genitalia and the female reproductive organs, which are troublesome anyways, and streamline the whole process. Make the area smooth with just a functional orifice for waste elimination. The process is called 
binary neutralization. This is a brilliant idea, said Dr. Frankenstein. It's so much simpler. In fact, with the proper legislation and the support of the sexual non-binary lobby, we could make this mandatory for all children at birth. This is, this is a logical conclusion, really. Do I think it will actually get there? No, I don't. But this is the logic that is bound up in it. They, they go on a little further later. This therapy is truly liberating for your patients. What a marvelous work that you're doing. Tell me, have you had any objections to your work? Oh, yes, of course. Certain religious fundamentalists protest, but we have a very proactive educational department. I see. And what do you say to those objections? We engage the objectors in dialogue. We ask them if any of their children have ever had orthodontics. Have they had dental implants? Have their parents or grandparents had a pacemaker or hip or knee replacement or hearing aids? We ask them if they object to organ transplants, which have saved the lives of so many. Do they object to corrective surgery after an accident? Plastic surgery to help with burn victims? No. All of these medical technologies have improved the lives of millions. So why do they object to further medical advances? This is the line of argument. This is the thought process behind, well, why not just help people by giving them surgery, by helping them transition to be trans, transracial, trans-Asian, trans-you name it? Why not help people transition to become the, the cat that they were really born to be or the dog that they were really born to be? And now you might say, well, that's just absurd. And surely, probably not a lot of people as far as uh, percentage of the population is going to go down that route, but that is the route that, that people are going. That is where this ideology is going, seeing that you can be anything that you want to be. You can identify in any way that you want to identify, and you must be accepted as that. He goes on, my, my friend's comment, goes on to say, it is pretty startling how flippant you seem to approach the subject. Yes, in that one one-minute clip, it was using a lot of irony, trying to create some humor in the show, but am I approaching this flippantly? No, I think this is one of the most serious uh, uh, agendas and pushes that is happening in progressive social constructionism that we're seeing across the globe because it's attacking normative family values. It's attacking uh, identity. It's causing confusion among so many kids. And the, the fruit of it, if you look at the underlying comorbidities that, that these individuals face and the, the rate of suicide that these individuals face even after transitioning, that is not something that I want to see anyone go through. And a reality that I think anyone wants to live in with the risk that anyone wants to live in. That, that risk of high suicide rate. So my question is, and let me divide this. First, I would say, if there is an individual in front of me, of course, I'm going to take them in. I'm going to love them. I'm going to treat them with respect, love, and care. There is difference between accepting a person and caring for that person and 
creating legislation and pushing people towards that. And, and rather than saying, for, for those who are already leaning towards that way, instead of saying, well, well, I think there might be some other underlying issues and maybe you, you thinking that you're transgendered is a fruit of something much deeper that's happening. Let's solve this deep root issue first and then see what happens in a couple of years and let this thing play out. Instead of doing that, we're doing the opposite. We're saying, ah, that fruit, that transgenderedism that you're feeling, that must be the source. That must be the root problem. And therefore, if we can fix that, then we'll deal with your, that will fix your depression, that will fix your bipolarness, that will fix the anxiety that you feel. But, of course, no. Apparently, that's flippant. He goes on. And says, it seems, it just seems like you haven't given the situation the thought and consideration it needs or examined the medical, psychological considerations that are far from jumping to the conclusion or push children's or adults in a direction that they don't already exist in. This is what I was just commenting on. That his argument, which I understand, is he saying, Oh, well, people are already trending in this way. Medical professionals and psychologists are stepping in who are helping people who are already trending in this way. My argument is that, well, if I'm trending towards depression and suicide, wouldn't a medical profession come in and not say, great, we'll help you, we'll help you in that. We'll help you, you know, finish the job off. No, they're, say, they're, they're supposed to step in and say, hey, we're going to help bring you back from this edge and we'll deal with the underlying issues, not just accept your self-diagnosis as you are. And again, th this assumption, and I've gotten this uh, a numerous, numerous times where someone will take a, a one-minute clip or a 15-second clip from Instagram and say, well, clearly you haven't read enough. Clearly you haven't done enough research. Clearly you need... You need to educate yourself. You need to educate yourself. That seems to be the, the common response when someone has an opinion that differs than them because it's so offensive and it is so offensive to think that someone could have done hours and hours of work and research, could have read books, could have looked at the arguments and come to a different conclusion than you, to come to a different conclusion than your point of view and from your worldview. Because if you disagree with me, that also means that I probably disagree with you to the same degree. So, and I saw this when it came to the, the Israel-Palestine conflict. I, I've seen it when it, it, when it comes to, when I've raised questions on what people mean by cultural appropriation. The answer normally is, is well, I'm not gonna do the emotional labor for you. You need to go and educate yourself. Well, you, clearly your, your 50 hours of research just wasn't enough. What, just because I didn't come to your conclusion? Well, here's, here's another clip from, from that interview with Dr. Peterson and Abigail Schreer on this point. Right, I mean, I interviewed affirmative therapists and I would say to them, and they would say, well, some kids are gender fluid. And I would say to them, well, then how can you recommend, rever you know, top surgery on a young woman who's, who may be, turn out to be gender fluid, meaning she decides at some point she isn't, she was wrong. She isn't a boy. She's a girl. And, and, 
um, you know, this response was essentially, well, only she can know her truth. I mean, we are, we are, we are, this is not medicine any longer. It's closer to witchcraft. And I agree. It's not medicine any longer. It is closer to witchcraft. It is closer to, well, only you can know your truth. Who, who is to tell you what gender you are anyways? And isn't jumping, isn't cutting and putting kids underneath the knife and giving puberty blockers to kids, which are irreversible, is that not jumping to conclusions that are ir uh, irreversible conclusions? Isn't it? Isn't that flippant? The, the line of argument also seems to follow when, when, when we're talking about, you know, kids or adults are already in that, that direction. They're, they're already, and if adult wants to do what an adult wants to do, that's, that's different. You know, they are an adult. I think that, you know, my, my liberalism or my uh, uh, libertarianism in me would say, hey, if an adult wants to do that, that's one thing. I'm mostly making this argument about the, the indoctrination of children from kindergarten, essentially sowing these seeds of confusion, saying that you can be any gender that you think you might be. Maybe you were born in the wrong body. But this whole thing of like, well, people are already going to do it. So, you know, we're just going to help them. They're already thinking this way. We're, we're just going to help them along. That is the same logic that says, well, kids are already going to have sex anyway. So let's teach them how to do it in school at a young age. And we'll give them condoms just so that they can be safe while doing it. It's the same logic that says, well, kids are high school kids are going to drink and party anyway. So we'll be the ones that us, the parents, are going to buy the booze and host the party at our house because, well, these kids are already going down this way, so let's create a safe environment for them to do it. But is it not therapists and psychiatrics and, 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 and psychology, is it not supposed to help return people to their healthy original state, not to encourage them down a state that, that many people, not just myself, and data, not just myself, would say that these are fruits of underlying issues. And by creating a kid and saying to a kid that, hey, you, let's transition you, that all of a sudden that's going to solve the problems because it's not. They're only going to get better, bigger. And finally, you know, as, as a religious fundamentalist that I am and that many of my friends are, even here in the Khalid, here in the, in the Middle East, mo most of my friends we're religious fundamentalists at, on some level of the scale, especially compared to uh, the progressives that are pushing this, uh, this agenda, these trans activists. And I would say, you know what, th there is an, an issue here of a spiritual reality. There is, is a spiritual reality that is going on. And yes, there, there are all these physical uh, psychological, chemical imbalances. There are such things as intersect people who are born with mul multiple genitalia or born with with uh, multiple chromosomes. There are there are those clear medical cases, and that's not what we're talking about either. But what we are talking about is the agenda that is being pushed, and there is a spiritual level for that. And so I think we need to go beyond 
and recognize that we have to go beyond just a natural solution, but there is a spiritual solution that part of the reason that we're not seeing any level of breakthrough is because we're totally ignoring it. We're saying, well, we can't defeat this. We can't fix this. We, we, we don't know the solution to this in the natural, and therefore, we're just gonna we're just gonna embrace it and call it normative and normal. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we have exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Well, in British Columbia, they uh, Canada, they are experiencing a drug crisis. Now, April fourteenth of 2021 marked a sobering five-year anniversary for BC when five years ago an health emergency was declared over overdoses. Since 2016, 7,000 people have died. Overdose is the fourth cause of death in British Columbia with the average age being 43. Now, the solution has been not only to decriminalize drugs like heroin, but to give those drugs away for free and to set up prescription, essentially prescription heroin, prescription cocaine, and prescription meth to move people away from what is being called uh, uh, toxic supplies or unsafe drug supplies and moving them to what is being called safe supplies or uh, government-regulated, pharmaceutically-created Methane, uh, methane, uh, uh, meth, cocaine, and heroin drugs. Now, I'm a, I'm a little mixed on this issue, and, and after we listen through some of these clips, you'll hear why. But the province of, of British Columbia is investing $22.6 over the next three years to expand their new policies to help combat drugs. And one of the first things that they're doing, as I said, is to decriminalize drugs. And the second thing is to create a safe drug supply. Here is the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Sheila Mal Malcolmson. I'm committed to continuing our unrelenting response to the overdose crisis, finding new ways to separate people from the toxic drug supply, adding more treatment and recovery options, and moving forward on decriminalization to reduce the stigma that prevents people from reaching out for help. Now, there are a couple of things actually I do like shocking in this statement is, okay, they're creating more beds for recovery for youth and adults. They're creating places and treatments for if, if people are overdosing or people want to get off drugs, that they have systems to help people who are coming forward and saying, hey, I have an addiction problem and I need help. I actually think that's, I think that's great. I mean, if, if someone is admitting they have a problem with addiction and they want to get free, yeah, we should help them. So the, the logical step is saying, well, we are going to decriminalize uh, the holding of drugs so that we can focus our efforts elsewhere and so that we can re re remove the stigma so people can actually come forward and, and not be worried that they're going to get arrested or thrown in jail if they say that they have a, a problem with drugs. Here's uh, the next clip of Sheila explaining this. Our intention is that uh, by decriminalizing 
uh, small amounts of illicit drugs, personal possession of illicit drugs, that we have, uh, we get two benefits in British Columbia. One is that the police are able then to concentrate on more serious crime and particularly go after drug traffickers. Um, and at the same time, uh, removing an impediment, um, the stigma that prevents people from admitting that they have an addiction problem and, and reaching out for help. Now, this I, I do think is great. There have been similar models that have been put forward when it comes to battling and combating sex trafficking in America, which which would be decriminalizing prostitution, but criminalizing the, the buying of a prostitute. So oftentimes in countries, they criminalize the, the female in the exchange, but they don't they don't press charges or criminalize the John or the male in the exchange or and really in America, one in five, one in five uh, cases of human trafficking are young boys. So it's not just criminalizing uh, the female, but it's the, the prostitute, um, whether male or female. But the, but the, the thought process is if we criminalize the buying of a prostitute, then there's going to be a greater stigma from people who are purchasing um, sex and that is going to quickly stop the problem. And we can then help people who are caught up in human trafficking across the globe. So the same thought process is being applied here, which I don't necessarily hate, which is, okay, if someone is struggling, struggling with drug addiction, let's get them help rather than throwing them in jail and let's pursue drug traffickers, let's pursue uh, drug lords and put our energy there rather than just locking up the ones and the twos. But notice, she used a couple times this term safe supply and getting getting people off of toxic supplies of drugs and instead having a safe supply of drugs. Now, uh, one website was saying, uh, and the link's in the, the show notes, the term safe supply is relatively new, but the concept is not. People who use drugs have been calling for safe and regulated drugs for decades. The Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs, C-A-P-U-D, defines safe to supply as a legal and regulated supply of drugs with mind-body-altering properties that traditionally have been accessible only through the illicit drug market. This covers many drugs that are currently illegal, including, including heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamines, and MDMA. The goal of safe supply is to enable people who use drugs to access regulated substances from a legal source rather than toxic versions from illicit markets, ultimately saving lives. On the face, that sounds great, but in practice, I have, I have a few reservations, I have a few doubts. One, we already know across the globe, uh, medications like uh, Valium, like Percocet, like uh, codeine, these are all legal opiates, which you can get from drug suppliers and people abuse them and overdose on them all the time. It is a serious problem. So how, how does the government becoming the drug dealer instead? It seems to be a great move by Big Pharma to keep people, to, one, to take out drug traffickers and to let them become the ones that regulate it. But who's to say that people aren't going to abuse those prescriptions anyways? And it seems as if it only perpetuates a problem 
of of drug addiction, which is extremely harmful, extremely harmful to people's lives. Why would we want to perpetuate this instead of looking to solve the, the root issues of the problem? And I understand they are doing that. Canada is working and pressing to do that. But I feel like putting a stamp on it and, and legalizing it in a way that you can go to a drug supply place and get your, your free fix of heroin for the day. Um, it seems as though there would be just so much more room for, for addiction. There could be so much more room for abuse. And it can essentially say to an entire generation that, hey, this is okay. Drugs are okay. We've moved from dare, don't do drugs. And the war on drugs in the in the late 80s and the 90s to accepting and realizing, well, actually, the drug lords beat us. We actually lost. We couldn't solve this problem. So instead of, of fighting it, we are going to accept it and we are going to be the ones that regulate it, which seems to be a similar argument to what's happening in the trans movement. Instead of saying we can actually provide solutions for people who are experiencing bipolar and depression and, and, and bullying, instead of providing a solution, we're going to say, we're going to affirm the problem and say, ah, yes, you must have been born in the wrong body and we ought to just transition you. Well, this show is brought to you by viewers like you. This is a value for value podcast, meaning we don't have advertisers on the show but if you are getting value out of this show, which I assume you do if you're listening, then consider giving back to the show in the value which you received. You can do that by visiting our website, lucasscrobot.com, skrobot.com, or you can give by listening on a 2.0 certified podcast, 2.0 certified app like Breeze or Podfriend, where you can stream Bitcoin Satoshi by Satoshi, cent by cent, as you listen, and it's a great way to engage as you listen. So you can find one of those uh, Bitcoin value streaming apps at newpodcastapp.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today's quote is from the book, When Helping Hurts. So not that ancient of a quote, but it's written by Stephen Cobert. And he says, if we treat only the symptoms or if we misdiagnose the underlying problem, we will not improve their situation and we might actually make their lives worse. If we only treat the symptoms, or if we misdiagnose the underlying problem, we will not improve people's lives. We will not improve the situation of those we seek to help. We might actually only make it worse. And this is exactly what we have been saying in this episode, and this is exactly what we have been saying when it comes to this, this whole trans activist movement where you're not able to rightly identify 
the the root issues and the problems because it is illegal. Conversion therapy is illegal in many states, in many countries. It's illegal. And if you're not able to give people a solution, if you're not able to say, okay, let's just put a pause on your identification as a, a trans person, and let's first deal with these underlying issues. And then after we deal with these underlying issues, after we, we, we get some breakthrough on depression and bullying and self-hatred and, and, and suicidal thoughts and bipolarism, once we get that breakthrough, then, then let's revisit and see if, if being transgendered was a fruit of something or is that the actual root? Are you, are you actually born in the wrong body? And let's stop pushing this on an entire generation because I fear, I fear that we are misdiagnosing and we will end up doing far more harm than good in, in the months, years, and decades to come along this issue. And that's not a flippant or uneducated take, but there are many people who agree with me. And if you agree, there's many people who agree with you. You are not alone in this. You are not a minority in this. So do not fear. Do not think that you are. If you get value out of this show, a great way to get more value out of it is by sharing it with your spouse, with your friend, with someone in your community to dialogue and discuss over these arguments, over these topics, because these arguments are coming. I know they're coming against everyone everywhere, whether it's here in the Middle East or across Asia or Europe, these are this is a global push because we live in a globally connected society. And as leaders and as people who lay bricks of culture and of language, we are the ones that must define reality for our communities. And that is what strengthens our communities. So share this with a friend talk about these issues with a friend and make sure that you're you're shoring yourself up up with sound thought and sound arguments when it comes to this this agenda that really is seeking to undermine the fabric of society thank you for for listening thanks for being with us today remember you are you are a truth seeker you are someone who goes out and seeks and pursues the truth because if you pursue the truth, you will, you will actually find it. And it's through knowing and understanding the world that we uncover our purpose. And that is what causes us to own our futures.